As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. I'm looking at huge big brown boxes of broccoli crisps which are delicious and there's I can see chili flavour, cheese flavour. Better count those when we leave in case I've smuggled one <laughs> under my coat. I'm Anna Davis and for this edition of On Farm we have come to Cooper in Fife. Uh, so my name's Andrew Fechney, Managing Director of East of Scotland Growers. Yeah so we are uh, the On Farm podcast. We're here largely to talk about SAOS which is the Scottish Agricultural Organisations Society and we have got three very kind volunteers with us um, all of whom work in or run businesses um, that are members of SAOS and they also sit on either the board or the council. So Andrew, you, uh, East of Scotland Growers is, a, is obviously incredibly involved with SAOS. Can you tell us in your own words what you think SAOS delivers for Scotland and Scottish agriculture? Um, SAOS, it, it really gives East of Scotland Growers a backdrop in terms of we can maybe get a little bit snowblind to, to broccoli and collie and what we think is a given maybe sometimes isn't and vice versa. So um, the breadth of what SOS can bring you on the industry but also how um, others are overcoming, I don't want to call corporate problems, it's not a problem, it's just a different dynamic. When you're managing a co-op, I always think you've got two sets of customers. You've got the, the commercial end where you have your customers where you're trying to sell product to, which if you can't meet you're going to fail but equally the members are your customers because if you're not serving their requirements then what's the purpose of of being uh, the, the cooperative group yeah so your your members themselves are largely brassica growers um how do you think an individual one of those members then sees the benefit themselves Probably in <clears throat> it's what we'd call crop programming. So, so brassica crops are the short life cycle crops. Um, you you will have a day to harvest the crop once it's ready, and then three days to, to market it. So, so to piece together the size of scale of operation we do, it's it would just be impossible for the for the individual. So, for an individual to be able to supply the percentage of UK production that we do and become such a significant part in the retail sector, it would almost be impossible from a, from an individual's point of view, where you as an individual might grow 6% of the programme, but you will be able to do a season-long production and you will be on the same footing as somebody who might be doing twice what you're doing in 12-15% of the, of the total programme. We are quite... I don't want to say fortunate, but we're maybe a little bit unique in the crops that we grow will be the the only commercial-sized growers of those crops. So for a retailer to want Scottish production of broccoli, for example, there's only really us to, to come and speak to. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't give you the licence to write Not the price you're going to take, no. but you have to be competitive in the marketplace, but it does give you a, a sure footing in, in regards to, to the retail supply chain. 
you're the MD of the business, so that's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Um, so how does the support um, and engagement that you have with SOS help you personally, but also how you run the business? Yeah, the in that respect, one of the the best things that's probably we've taken part with in the in the SOS is the we have an MD forum where there's seven businesses come in. We meet twice a year, and that really does give you a a place to know that you're not alone and that others are having similar problems. It, it's always not the simplest thing running a, a co-op when you have members under pressure, whether that be market force or, or any other issue that you have to try and deal with. You have to try and correct that along with running the fundamentals of a, a commercial business at the same time. So, the again, as I said earlier, SOS offers such a breadth of um, exposure it just uh, it allows you to to not feel as isolated as you may do in a uh, a, a crop that isn't broadly produced in this country, but B also try and run it as to the members' benefit as a as a cooperative. Yeah. So the the, the MDs who sit on that board will have um, a number of differences within their business in terms of the the crops that, that that their members grow. But what might some of the similarities be then in terms of challenges that you're facing? Everything from board governance to strategy development to uh, insurance issues. How do you group insure? Anything you can think of that might throw up you in the in day to day side of business, you'll find other co-ops are, are struggling as well now. Whereas the daffodil price might be on the floor, the fish price might be on the floor, the broccoli price might be on the floor. That that's not really the relevance of that group. That group is there to to speak about the the broader issues that face uh, running the the members uh, cooperative. And I suppose in a way, it's it's not fundamentally different from from some of your farmer members. You know, when you're working on your own in a business, it's enormously beneficial to meet other people running similar businesses so that you can share challenges, share solutions and and really feel, as, as you say, as though you're kind of in it together. Yeah. We don't always find the solutions. <laughs> you probably be clear about that. But uh, it is an invaluable um, sanity check, I think, is uh, maybe how we would view it as, as going yeah, into the room. Absolutely. And um, within SAOS and their staff team, um, they have a huge number of, of skilled individuals. And, and, and what sort of, do you think that some of those skills they bring that, that, uh, to help you? Uh, I must admit, I probably learn each time that there's somebody who has a, a background in something as you go along. And it could be everything from pointing in the right direction with Scottish food and drink, where to find a, a crop research project that was done in, in an establishment. The breadth and the backdrop of the knowledge that, that SOS employ uh, is something I don't think that all members fully understand. I certainly don't. As I say, you, you stumble across a, a new element of it every time you go in with a problem, essentially. And that's one of the reasons we're here today, essentially, is to, to record a podcast so that the wider Scottish farming community, but particularly those who are, might be members of yours or members of, of yeah. other cooperatives, um, can have a deeper understanding of the benefits that they can potentially derive from, yeah. from their involvement. Yeah. Yeah. One thing of ours is, is we're quite fortunate in respect it's a small membership so I think every member feels fully immersed in what they do and and I don't think there would be many grow the crops that they do if they weren't part of the group so I think they all take a full understanding of the benefits that being part of the co-op brings. I think that's a much harder thing to achieve if you've got 
100, 200 members within your mm-hmm. co-op, to try and get every one of them to give that level of, of commitment to the co-op must be a, a huge challenge. And I, I think the SOS have, have a, a role to do in order to pull all those members in and, and understand uh, the services that yeah. can be brought. So it's, I suppose it's really a strength in unity rather than necessarily a strength in numbers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, working yeah. together. Yeah. So thank you, Andrew. You've given me a, a deeper insight into the way that SOS is, is helping you and the collaborative aspect of that and how you can uh, share challenges with other people. So we're fortunate today. Um, we're going to go inside and escape the drizzle um, because we have two other members of the, the MD Forum indoors who are keen to speak to us about exactly how you all work together and, and use that knowledge, shared knowledge, to drive your businesses forward. Hi Jen, so it's nice and warm in here in comparison to the rain outside. Um, So we're now joined by uh, Mark who is from Grampian Growers and John who is a farmer but also represents Grain Co. Uh, Both are very heavily involved. Mark, you are the chairman of SOS, is that correct? That's correct. What does that involve? A commitment of about 30 days a year. Um, so as well as being managing director of Grampian Growers, um, I spend a bit of time uh, along with John, who's vice chairman, down at Ingolston with the, the team and out and about with some of the team as well. What do you think you have derived from, from being so, so much involved over the years? I think both from a, a personal perspective and as MD of Grampian Growers, we get a huge amount of um, support from SOS. We're one of the smaller co-ops um, involved in the sector. We're a £10 million business, primarily export. Um, so the sort of diverse nature of the, the staff within SOS, the management team, the board, the council, uh, as I say, from a personal perspective, I get a huge amount. It can be a bit of a lonely place being a, an MD of a co-op. Um, we're quite small. We've only got 10 folk in the office. Uh, we have 13 A shareholder members all daffodil producers and flower producers and 29 potato members so as I say relatively small and we use the support of SOS on a fairly regular basis So Mark if we were to take one of your bulb growers as an example how do you think they would explain to me the benefit that they derive as an individual from the SOS involvement If you look in effect at any of our our 13A shareholder bulb grower members they would all have quite a a sizeable involvement in SOS for example our um uh, bi-monthly board meetings, they get an SOS update um, through my sort of chairmanship and involvement. So they know what's going on in all the various sectors. And although we have bulb growers and potato growers, they're all mixed farms. They all have cereals, there's pig producers, there's dairy producers. Um, so all these um, individual growers have an interest in what's happening in the wider field, not just bulbs and potatoes. And that information gets conveyed through myself via the, um, the board and the council and the staff at SOS. Mm. That's just got me thinking, actually, and, and I'm always interested in the kind of bigger agricultural picture across Scotland as a whole. How do you think Scottish agriculture, in, in the biggest sense of it, benefits from the existence of SAOS? I think hugely, but at the same time, um, SAS, is, I often um, describe it as one of these sort of understated businesses that there's not enough people actually know about the business mm-hmm. um, and the sort of work they do. There's about 26 members of staff involved in SOS, and it's very diverse in terms of the nature, the three individual parts of the business uh, being sort of Scott EID, being the um, co-op sector and the supply chain involved in, in food and drink. 
So every farmer that we have within Grampian Growers would have some form of benefit from the work that the project managers do, um, the staff at Scott EID do. Um, it's just a bit understated and one of the issues that we're looking at is how do we um, develop that uh, and make it more, do- more aware and in particular a podcast like this today uh, makes SOS um, a greater awareness in the, the, the farming, not just the farming public but the, the general public. Absolutely, yeah. We're telling the story and wanting people to, to, to develop a deeper understanding. Um, you mentioned the, the general public, and perhaps um, based on, on a, a little amount of knowledge, they might assume that SAOS doesn't impact upon them in any way. But do you think it does, and in what ways? Yeah, I think very much so. It, it does. You know, we are in effect as a, an industry and multiple industries feeding the nation. So whether that be through cereals or through milk or, or red meat, um, through shellfish, all these businesses are involved within membership of roughly 60 co-ops. The SOS structure used to be, its, um, its main aim was to, um, as the umbrella business for Scottish co-ops, that over the last 10 to 15 years has changed. The environment has changed. You know, we're now involved in big data, um, traceability, supply chain work. And all that is, um, you know, personally, and I think from an SOS perspective, we want to sort of convey to everyone what this actually means. Where does um, food come from? So the Royal Highland Education Trust, getting kids into onto farms and understanding where their food comes from and how it's produced, the traceability, the safetiness of the food... That is all a huge part of this general awareness um, and that information being conveyed by SOS. Um, you can might hear a bit of noise going on in the background and uh, uh, one of Andrew's team is uh, getting something packaged up ready for it to be uh, taken out of the building and distributed. So that's a finished pellet that's come out the extruded line and that will go off to a, a customer down south. Um, that product, I think, is a lentil product uh, that will go down and be... Um, cooked and bagged under somebody else's brand so so although we do the the branded sales on the broccoli crisps the factory itself is a, a manufacturing unit in its own right so uh, we do lentil crisps we do other vegetable products and um, basically anything that's gone through an extrusion process and it looks very safe ready for dispatch so uh, we can we can carry on chatting um so john tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do because uh, you're wearing a woolly hat today because it's cold but in a professional sense you wear a number of hats so it'd be useful to hear a bit more about those yes thanks Hannah. i'm uh, john hutchison i'm a farmer based outside Dunfermline. i'm a, a arable farmer i'm also vice chairman of sos and i've been a, a director on the board for 15 years about as long as mark but I also have a few other hats. I'm uh, a director of a grain marketing co-op called Grainco, which is based in the northeast of England, but we have a strong presence in Scotland, and we market around a million tonnes of cereals every year. I'm also on the board of Tayforce Machinery Ring and chaired that for 10 years. The Machinery Ring Network of Scotland is a very successful example of how cooperation works in practice and how it is well-established and has become... Uh, a very important part of the rural scene in Scotland and I'm also involved in quality assurance, I'm vice chairman of Scottish Quality Crops which is the quality assurance scheme for growing cereals in Scotland so I'm very much uh, believe in the whole cooperative system and have a, a very strong belief that it is one of the ways in which Scottish agriculture can compete uh, on, a, on a world basis. 
At present, you're the only farmer in the building, so you can perhaps talk best uh, from a first-hand experience. When you're wearing your farmer hat, Mm. um, how does SAOS impact on you and and help to to future your business? Yes, I think the most important thing that SAOS does is encouraging the cooperative sector, and the reason we have co-ops is really down to SAOS and the way that they have firstly helped encourage farmers to come together to form them but secondly to ensure that these cooperatives are run properly and give advice when required regarding governance and development of businesses so that these co-ops become more resilient and longer lasting. Yourself and Mark have both been involved in SAOS for I think you said 15 years. Um, Where do you think SAOS and pharma cooperatives will be in 15 years from now? That's a very interesting question. I think the cooperative sector can grow and I think more farmers will become members of co-ops. I think we'll have new co-ops developing. I think there's going to be a far greater emphasis on marketing. The the, the world is changing. We need to promote within the the Scottish umbrella our brand. Um, Quality assurance is going to become very important and will link into cooperation as well. We will have uh, the use of data, um, the use of information will be very important in enabling uh, growers to add value uh, and and enhance the the image of what they produce and and avoid this race to the bottom in terms of food quality and price. We need to lift ourselves off that and I think the only way we can do that is by working together. And so I see the Scottish rural sector as having a very positive future but it will require a lot more collaboration to get us to the position we need to be to be more resilient and also I think it's all about maintaining our unique family farm structure which is in danger of being eroded if if you follow what's happening elsewhere in the world farms are just getting bigger and bigger becoming more industrial but just becoming large effectively corporate organizations we want to avoid that I think we have a very unique fabric of rural life here and I truly believe that cooperation is the only way we can maintain that and let it thrive even just on a very simple basis collaboration with a neighbour sharing equipment, sharing machinery that is a type of cooperation and will enable two individuals to keep on farming maybe specialising in what they do best rather than one selling up it's interesting I was down in England recently and passed one of the Dyson farms which is very corporate, very very well run I'm sure but part of a huge farming business and of course there will be individual family farms that have disappeared through the the, the Dyson Empire and I would be quite sad I think if that happened up here in Scotland so I see cooperation as a way of maintaining the fabric of family farms that we have here. Absolutely and enabling family farms as you say that perhaps otherwise may not have the economies of scale to to continue and and And, work together. These economies of scale work right across the board in terms of uh, procuring inputs uh, and um, machinery, sales machinery, uh, purchasing, uh, f- purchasing fuel, and and eventually selling produce into the market. I think cooperation is a strand that works across uh, all these different activities on a, on a family farm. And I suppose, therefore, also important to recognise that, despite the great work that's being done within East of Scotland Growers, Grampian Growers, Grain Co. Um, as an individual farmer, you don't have 
to be a member of any of those larger organisations because, as you say, cooperation and collaboration can start at a neighbour-to-neighbour level. It doesn't have to be um, the the, the big-picture stuff, and I suppose that's something that SAOS, I think, would want everybody to remember as well as the the involvement of the the bigger businesses. I think that's a really good point. I mean, within our membership, we'll have, um, for example, neighbours who will share a machine. They'll share a combine, they'll share a potato harvester, and that's the sort of basic form of cooperation. It doesn't need to be big, um, but we also have some of the largest farming business in Scotland involved in our co-op. So the actual scale, um, although what we saw in Ireland was very much a much smaller producer um, in terms of dairy herds with maybe 75 or 80 cows, it doesn't apply. And um, Andrew made reference to the slight niche nature of maybe um, vegetable growing, and in particular the production of crisps. And it's a little bit like that in terms of daffodil flowers and bulbs. It is a little bit niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the cooperative structure, it allows us to invest in gramping growers for up-to-date bits of kit, new markets all over the world. We've just gone into Thailand, for example, with our potatoes. and We're heavily involved in North America for our daffodil bulbs, where yeah. most of our bulbs go to. And all that is a result of no um, expenditure on behalf of the growers, one pound investment in a co-op 50 years ago, mm. um, and it evolves from there. It's amazing, isn't it, really? John, you mentioned the word provenance earlier on. Wherever I go, I hear that. And in my own shopping habit habits, buying traceable Scottish produce is probably top of my priority list. So it'd be great to hear from yourself or Mark about um, EID, which is electronic identification, and, and the, how that in the livestock industry is progressing uh, Scottish agriculture. Uh, Scott ID is a a business um, managed by SOS based up in Huntley. It was designed, um, unfortunately, on the back of foot and mouth, um, and it's evolved over over the years. It's a big part um, of a a very large database that um, Scotland are very proud of in terms of they can trace virtually every animal um, to a very high degree of of, um, traceability um, anywhere in Scotland, to be a movement from one farm to the next, one field to the next. Uh, it's a big part of, of SOS's business in terms of staff numbers. It has about 14 or 15 staff members up in, in Huntley. And that will continue to evolve. And there's lots of things on the back of the principles of big data and the Internet of Things, which is another area we're investing uh, in just now uh, with various partners. And it's one of the really exciting areas of, mm-hmm. the, of the future in terms of how you'll be able to, um, for a relatively small amount of costs, gather data, be it from an individual animal, be it from a machine. Um, so they're quite exciting times. And uh, the same applies, I think, John, um, to, to whiskey in terms of traceability and the importance of that from a consumer point of view, but also from a farm level point of view. Yes, um, correct, Anna. We have in Scotland this very high value whiskey industry and as an arable producer, I am feeding into that. They are increasingly becoming far more interested in the provenance of their raw ingredient. And so we need to provide more and more information uh, to them and we can do that uh, collaboratively so we can do that through quality assurance but also simply just working together as a group. I work closely with a single uh, distiller and the identity of their barley is preserved from the from the field right through to their production and you can only really do that if you have a more direct connection with the grower. So um, the, the, the whisky industry will move increasingly towards these 
groups of growers growing specifically for brands, in my view, and we will have less imported uh, raw ingredient because they would far rather use homegrown Scottish produce, but we have to set ourselves up to make it easy for them mm. to source. Also, as a parallel with the, the, the oat milling industry, we, we, uh, I'm involved in a group of growers that grow milling oats for a particular customer, and that only works because we act as a group. So we can only deliver certainty of supply over several years by acting as a group. We can only deliver quality improvements, and we can leverage a fairly good contract with them and price because we are supplying them with a significant part of their tonnage. And it all comes back to working collaboratively. We could not do it unless we did that. As a semi-outsider um, to, to that sector myself, I, I have really noticed in the last 10 years, with the whisky industry being an example, um, about how they are embracing in a much stronger mm. and more determined way the use of Scottish raw product in, in what they're producing. Because I remember discussions, um, and I, they're not perfect still, but no. I remember many discussions in years gone by of, of how the, they weren't embracing that enough. Sure. I think there's far more appetite for that and there's technology now coming into labelling so we can now have traceability from the bottle with a, with a, a QWERTY code taking mm-hmm. us right back to the individual grower and that's really exciting development because it really just links growers into the brand far more strongly and uh, gives us far more opportunity for leveraging a bit more value out of what we produce. Absolutely. Um, Mark, I know you have children who are in their early 20s. So, so what, what's your perspective on, on the next generation and how, I know your children aren't necessarily involved in agriculture, but how the next generation will help to, to drive collaboration and cooperation? Yeah, I think that's a really good good question. Um, having children 21 and 23 years of age, they've been brought up in the world of agriculture but not employed in the world of agriculture. But they understand, and whether it's within our um, co-op sectors, the importance of working together. And that applies to not just our agriculture and horticultural sectors. It applies to a lot of different businesses. Uh, I'm allowed to use the big bad B word. Uh, Brexit. I think there's going to be a lot more um, emphasis in terms of UK government and Scottish government um, on more cooperation, more collaboration. They see that, um, John mentioned the word sort of ethos, and there is a particular ethos within the co-op sector um, that works. You know, co-ops in general are very, very successful, long-established businesses. Um, Grampian's been on the go for 1968, was started, um, mm. largest exporter of flower bulbs in the UK. And it's all about working together. And I think that's where SOS will continue to get more involved. They're very um, innovative in terms of uh, recruitment, the people they employ with the specialism they have. And the the business of SOS can afford to, to look at the marketplace as a whole and identify these key people. Um, if I can make reference to a meeting I had this morning, um, looking at bulb um, breeding in the vertical farm situation with GHI. Ah. Right, so, yes, another, that's the James Hutton Institute. <laughs> um, another reference um, through our forum that Andrew mentioned earlier, SOS Managers Forum, there was seven of us went to um, Republic of Ireland last week, we went to County Cork to look at the co-op sector um, and how they go about it, in particular large dairy co-ops, so quite small farms, um, 
and I have to say they do it better than us. We can learn from what's going on in Ireland in terms of the scale of the co-op and this real um, sort of cohesion of growers working together for the, the um, sort of better gain of, of everyone, in particular for smaller producers that find it difficult to have a voice in the current sort of climate unless they're a member of a co-op. And, of course, it's not just about growers, it's about developers, I suppose, is, is maybe a word for it. And, Andrew, in my pocket here, I have a bag of delicious broccoli crisps. So East of Scotland Growers and your members thought to themselves, it's great, we're, we're growing broccoli here, um, we're, do, we're doing it very well, but actually, is there something else that we can do with it um, can we do something a bit innovative and a bit different? So can you tell us briefly the story of the broccoli yeah. crisps that I've got here? So, so every five years as a board, we'll, we'll have two days, uh, an overnight away, and it's just to review the whole business, the industry, the sector, uh, the members' needs, explore certain opportunities. Um, and we'll not r- remove the fact that uh, large-scale vegetable production is our core purpose but at the end of the day you're trading a commodity so you have very little control over uh, what the end set price is going to be it's our job to make sure we remain competitive in that space but that did drive us to look at how can we either a add value to what we do or b what can we do that merits having a collective effort to to invest to look into other places so off the back of that we we looked at numerous things we looked at doing uh, a cooperative uh, ad investment we looked at doing uh, various renewables actually we looked at two different schemes Mm -hmm. but the other thing was how do we add value to what we do with what we're already doing and and one of the things was to utilize waste Um, waste is quite a hot topic in regards to, to what we produce and to meet UK standards it's inevitable we're going to have waste that is perfectly good product but not deemed fit for, for that given market. So we looked at various things um, and to cut a long story short we ended up in Italy trying to produce pasta of all things uh, with fresh veg. Um, doesn't work but we, we <laughs> did get there with a different product and we, we ended up with a, a crisp product. That in itself was, was a little bit unique, and, and it's then where do you take it with that? So th- this is still under the ownership of, of ESG, and we went we employed a, a marketing consultant. We went out to market. We, we got consumer data coming back in. We did product sampling, et cetera, et cetera, and everything came back positive. They do a top box scoring where if, if more than 80% had given a certain reading, it, it's a, a fast-track product. Yeah. So we scored very strongly in all of that. Um, we then hit the problem, though, we couldn't find anybody in the world to manufacture this product. It, it genuinely is the world's first. Extrusion plants are, are a 100% dry uh, zone, and we want to introduce what was deemed as a contaminant, which is mm. fresh broccoli, mm. or fresh veg of any concept, uh, any, uh, any product in that concept. So that required a big level of investment. We sat down as a board, we looked at, at that level of investment that was required, and it's completely out with the, the central function of what we do. Should the project go wrong, it was a big enough um, expenditure and investment that would then have a knock-on effect to what we do uh, as a primary function. So although the, the Chris Company Grows Garden um, is not a co-op through registration, it was put out to our existing members on an equal basis and an investment opportunity, essentially. So we, we, we allotted shares and growers had entitlement to buy however many they want. I think the huge positive for our board to take away from that was every single member invested in this new company, um, but they are of varying levels. Some are, some are obviously in a significant way. So they obviously all saw the merit in it. Yeah. 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 And, and the feedback we took from members was, well, firstly, they thought it was 
hugely refreshing for us to present an opportunity that wasn't just about growing more of the yes. broccoli or more of the yeah, cauliflower. It was something unique. completely mm. out of it. And it's probably something they would never have invested in if it hadn't been brought to them uh, through, the, through the existing group. So we're, we're, we're still currently in the same building and, and I currently sit as MD of both. But the, the, the Chris company and the extrusion manufacturing facility is getting to the point where it will be a standalone business within itself um, in the next six to 12 months. And at, at that point, I think we'll see a, a bigger separation between the two. But that doesn't mean the board have stopped. The ESG board have stopped looking at, at other opportunities and we're just in the planning application process for, for a powder mill, which is essentially taking waste again oh, and yes, producing yes. ingredients for facilities like this. So that, that would be the first one in the UK if that goes in. And, and again, it, it shelters the level of exposure. So for an individual to, to invest in that level, the risk probably doesn't merit what could no, come back. No, but if you absolutely. dilute that by a times 20 factor, it's, it's probably a risk they're more willing to, to take. And our members, not, the board have been very good at allowing us to be a little bit outside the box, but the members have equally been very good at, um, at following up on, on opportunities that have been put there. I think we probably all need to have a bit of a taste of these crisps, don't you think? I, took, I was here a few months ago for a meeting and I took one of the large bags home with me and the idea was I was going to get my family to taste them, but they never made it over the fourth bridge. So... Um, <laughs> They are fantastic. They have the texture of a crisp, the taste of a crisp, but, but with a bit of uniqueness. Um, I am a broccoli fan, but I think even if you weren't a fan of broccoli, you'd still love these crisps. And I think, for me, there's a psychological benefit as well, because I just feel as though they're the next step in terms of healthiness. Yep, that's <laughs> they, they are significantly healthier than a, than, a, than a normal crisp. And the unique sound point of these is they do use fresh vegetables. So the, mm. the vegetable content will be six, seven, eight times higher than, than those that we're competing against. Um, some of the other kale products or spinach products, whatever it might be, are made with essentially the powder we're looking at making in the powder mill. But in the powder mill, if we put in 10 kilos of of raw material product by the time you dry it down mill it the powder comes out it's about um, 0.8 of a kilo so there's a huge reduction yeah. down but you keep 100% of the flavour profile so if we were to put in 10 kilos of powder it'd be like having 100 and 120 kilos equivalent so it becomes very overpowering that the, the, the technology we've employed to do that has allowed the content to stay way higher than anything else which keeps it the number one ingredient within that within 29% that fresh broccoli mm. Anna earlier you mentioned uh, the future and where we were going um, with SOS yes. and I think um, there are three main drivers going forward uh, in the food industry one is consumers are wanting to know more about where their food comes from uh, the second is being environmentally friendly uh, reducing waste being, being sort of low carbon also, the other is health. So this yes, is a huge... So, mm. so I think this uh, product just ticks all these boxes um, and is an example of how collaboration and cooperation can, can help fulfil these market drivers and hopefully derive a bit more value for growers out of the market, which is, is changing fast and I think presents some huge opportunities in the future. Good point, yeah. And, and you know, this is a fabulous example, but there are other 
Mm. Other projects happening all over Scotland, whether it's in terms of salt reduction or, or adding vegetable product. And so, yeah, it's, it's hugely inspiring, I think. And as you say, that's, that's where the future lies. Even just in the broader remit, we touched on what the next generation can bring through in cooperation. Agriculture as a whole, and especially in, in some of the... Um, less broad agriculture like horticulture for example the technology is moving at a frightening rate Mm. and if I'm being honest the level of investment required is moving at an even higher proportionate rate than that so if I think of broccoli for example there's no such thing as a a mechanical broccoli harvest it's still done by hand it's more than a third of our cost labour's getting harder to find members are looking for a solution We've just come back from, from a meeting in Spain with a company who, who has a concept, essentially, which we believe it will get close. But it's £100,000 just to, to bring in a data software writer to look at taking that to the next venture. So for an individual to sit there yes. and put that in, you, you wouldn't do it. You, no, you, no. We managed to go in with another company who, similar to us, but English are based. So all of a sudden you divide that by 43 different investors. It becomes a much more palatable investment to go in. And the, the thing about the next generation coming through, one thing that I think most businesses will recognise, they're, they're very driven to work smarter rather than just necessarily work harder. Mm. And, I, and I think they will understand the merit of embracing this technology, but I do think it needs a level of cooperation to, to make that investment a bit more palatable. Well, yeah, absolutely. And if it wasn't for SAOS and the way in which collaboration and cooperation is is pushed forward as you say that there wouldn't be the ability to the technology might be there but there wouldn't be the ability to embrace that technology yeah. which, which would be, and then scotland would get left behind so mark you had something you wanted to add there uh, just a, a point that john made um, regarding the environment uh, within sos we um, work with several partners including the scottish government um, around um, sort of carbon capture around carbon sequestration and a major project project on the go just now called carbon positive so we recognize as a business through sos that we have to keep abreast of, of new technologies and in particular you know what the um, the general public are saying about for example sort of meat red meat production and um, the increase in veganism and all these things are very much incorporated into the sort of business of SOS within the special um, the project managers with particular specialisms and we need to continue to invest in that in order um, as we've all said earlier in terms of more co- cooperation more collaboration for the future yeah absolutely can you also perhaps tell us about any of the other ways in which individual farmers can engage with SAOS and the services the variety of services that it offers yeah, again, sort of um, either individually or through a co-op, one of the m- um, main roles or an increasing role of SOS's services is the aspect of training. So we have lots yeah. of various, we have new entrants, um, that could be new farmers come into co-op, it could be new staff come into co-op. We have um, assistant managers, we have um, MDs and CEOs like Andrew and I are on a forum. We have chairman's forum, there's one coming up next week. Um, so there's lots of... Um, time and energy spent on educating, on training individual farmers that are invited to conferences, to seminars, to strategy workshops. Um, and it's all about awareness of the cooperation movement and how that will benefit, whether it's a very large farm or where it's a very small farm, the scale makes no difference. Yeah, I've actually been the recipient of some SAOS training myself in the past, so highly recommend it. <laughs> and so if somebody is wanting to engage, what, what do they do now? Yeah, if they go into um, SOS, you'll see all the contact details on our, our website, any of the co-ops, and there's a lot of, as I say, 60 co-ops members of SOS, so their local co-op, um, just knock on the door or give them a phone um, to get the information.
So I think that's about it from Cooper. Um, really, uh, really like to reiterate my thanks to Andrew and to John and to Mark for uh, putting up with the cold and for giving us their insight and expertise into to the work of SAOS. Um, this is the On Farm podcast. Um, please subscribe to listen to every episode. Uh, meantime, I'm going to consume a whole bag of broccoli crisps because they're so delicious. So I'll see you later. So that's us wrapping up for today in Fife. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your ideas of what you think we should be covering or give us your feedback on what you've heard today. You can find us at on underscore farm UK on Twitter. <laughs>